This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson. Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great Scott. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm going to get a dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 161 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Scott McLaughlin, no Bridget, this evening. So, Scott, the, the Bruins come back from their two-week layoff, uh, mid-season vacation, and it kind of looked like that at times. Um, they fall to the Capitals 2-1. to one. I, The Bruins appeared to be the better team carrying play most of the game, but still you could just tell that they're shaking out uh, the cobwebs here. Yeah, I guess like what kind of not worries me, but what kind of gets me about that, though, is that the Capitals had just as long long of a break. Like the Capitals aren't one of the teams that started back earlier this week. They had they actually actually their last game before break was the night before the Bruins last game. So uh, technically even a one day longer break for the Capitals. So neither team should have been any rustier than the other. And. You know, I thought, especially in the first period, I just thought the Capitals just came out with more energy and, and seemed to want it more. And Jim Montgomery and a couple of the Bruins kind of acknowledged that the Capitals seemed like the more desperate team. They are, you know, a team that's fighting for their playoff lives. They entered the day tied for eighth in the Eastern Conference, so tied for the last playoff spot. Um, you know, move up a little with the win, but... uh that kind of seems to be a takeaway after the game is that, you know, Bruins are going to be facing a lot, a lot of these teams. A lot of the league is still alive for playoff spots. Um, you know, there's, there's more teams right now who are playing for something than, than aren't. So, uh, you know, just look at like this coming week, they got Dallas who's fighting for the number one seed in the West Nashville, who's right on the playoff bubble in the West. Then the Islanders who are right on the playoff bubble in the East. So, there's going to be a lot of this, a lot, and you know, I think teams are already taking their best shot at the Bruins because it was the game to circle on the calendar with with uh, the start that the Bruins have had and in in, you know having the league's best record. So uh, there aren't going to be many easy nights for the Bruins, and I thought you know tonight sort of showed that like you know the Bruins are going to have to find a way to sort of find some of that desperation themselves, which. I think for so much of the season they were playing with, you know, like they really seemed determined and seemed to want it more than their opponents. And it's just slipped up just a little bit recently. You know, there's three losses before the break and now Saturday against Washington. I'm, you know, not super worried about it yet. I don't think it's like something that's going to last throughout the second half of the season, but it's, it's there right now. And they've got to kind of just kick it up uh, maybe an extra half a notch. Yeah, and you and you mentioned how the Capitals had it was their first game back as well, so no excuses, right? But for me, Scott, it kind of reminds me of like it, it reminds me of like um, when people are in college and they and they have a they have a big day drink for some reason, like it's a homecoming or whatever the case may be. If the Bruins season was a big day drink, everybody got up for right now they're at the part of the day drink where it's like 
three in the afternoon where people are kind of like, should I go take a nap for the second half of this day <laughs> so we can go to the bars later? That's kind of what it feels like. They're just kind of like, that's what I was afraid this break was going to do. And look, it's the first game back, so let's not damn them for it. But you just kind of had that sense. Like you said, they were kind of slipping a little bit heading into it. And then you get two weeks off. You've you've set the bar so high all year that you just kind of felt this coming. I mean, it's their, it's it's no coincidence. It's their second uh, home regulation loss all year. It's like one of my buddies was texting before the game. He was asking if I was going. I was like, no, I'm not going to be there. And he, he mentioned how he, he, he bet like the Bruins money line and stuff. And the first thing I said to him, I was like, that's a spooky bet just because um, you don't want to bet on the Bruins today just because like you're coming back from a break and it's going to be rusty out there. So, I mean, I thought a few individuals looked pretty sharp, actually. David Krejci looked like he had some juice in his legs. Um, maybe that's because he had some time off. But as as the entire uh, team, I mean, just their decision-making wasn't very crisp or, or, or you know, sharp. Um, they passed up a lot of opportunities to shoot the puck today, Scott. Yeah, they did. I, I would add Nick Foligno as another who who seemed to have it today. I thought Taylor Hall played well, um, aside from – but you just mentioned, which he, he was one of the guys at one point who was uh, guilty of overpassing, had, you know, pretty good look on a stick and tried to make the one extra pass for a tap in and got broken up. Um, yeah. That, again, another issue that uh, I think was surfacing a little bit before the break and Brad Martian even kind of touched on that after the game said, you know, in his opinion, like it wasn't just tonight. It had kind of been building and has been there for a little bit. Um and, you know, it's – we've talked about this where, you know, Jim Montgomery's system stresses quality over quantity, which has been very successful for them. You look at their high danger chances this year versus last year, they're up. And that's a big reason why, because guys are, you know, willing to make that one extra play rather than just throw the puck on net from anywhere. But then it can kind of go in the other direction, which I think we're seeing a little bit of now, which is – you, you get a little too cute and you start looking for those, you know, cross slot one timers, backdoor tap ins like the really pretty goals. And it's like, well, you know, another way to create high danger chances is to just get pucks and bodies to the net and create some chaos. And like, that's basically what Martian said after the game is like, we have to do a little bit more of that where, um, you know, it's not, get kind of those gritty goals. He called them playoff goals, which is exactly right. Like that's how you tend to score in the playoffs. There aren't going to be a lot of seam passes and, uh, you know, two on ones right around the crease. Yeah. Something else Marshan mentioned after the game was uh, a little critical of the officiating. It kind of seemed like they had some, some, um, some two weeks off as well, Scott, the, the officiating, which, you know, it's, 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 I saw you. You said it to somebody online, and it's 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 very true. It's a it's a very difficult job for them out there. The game happens fast. There's a lot happening. But what what annoys me and it annoyed you because you commented on it is that like there were certain calls where they didn't even see the infraction. They saw the reaction, which was obviously fa- you know well the Lindholm one wasn't fabricated, but like something happened before. My point is he he didn't. If you miss a call, that's one thing, right? If you see a call and it's not a penalty, but you call it a penalty because you just it was subjective in the ref's mind, that's one thing. But when the refs don't see the play at all, they just see a reaction. That's very, very infuri- infuriating, and it just it just showed that the refs out there today just kind of didn't really have a great feel for the game. Yeah, and just the inconsistency of some of the stuff they called versus some of the stuff they let go. Um, you know. Krejci's trip was another one where it's like they just called it because Gustafson ended up on the ice. Like Krejci gets the puck and in it's a terrible turnover by Gustafson. Like he, he's skating back into his own zone and runs into two Bruins and like in the slot. And it's like just the worst possible place you can run into traffic as a defenseman and gets bailed out because the ref calls a penalty when Gustafson was, like already on his way down, had lost the puck, and you know, Krejci kind of barely gets him with a stick, and it's like, what a what a bailout call! Like just, just brutal. And you know, there were there are a few of those. Like Marshan gets cross checked in front, 
but they even it up by calling him for slashing when he's digging at a puck that was loose the whole time. Like Kemper never had that tied up. And like, I don't know if you want to say he was jamming at his pad or whatever. And that's not where the puck was like, okay, but how does Martian know that? Like he sees the puck lose. He's just poking at anything he can get to. Um, so yeah, really rough night for the refs. Martian called them out after the game, um, said that he, he thought they had a rough night. He said he thinks the fishing has been inconsistent all year. Um, you know, made a point to say like, that's not why we lost, but, um, Nonetheless, like it was a factor. I mean, the first Capitals goal, Bruins should have had the power play from that cross check on Marchand I mentioned. Instead, it evens up. Then you get a soft hooking call on Coyle, kind of iffy interference call on Lindholm. And now all of a sudden it's a five on three for the Capitals and they score. So yeah, Bruins had, you know, there are plenty of reasons within the Bruins control that they lost, but the officiating certainly didn't help. Nah, the officiating did not help. And so obviously, yeah, Capitals get that five on three goal to go up one nothing. And we're not gonna sit here and, you know, critique the Bruins for giving up a five on three goal. That's 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 pretty standard, right? Um but what we can can critique is the second goal that Boston gave up, which was the Garnet Hathaway goal. And, you know, credit to Hathaway, like you can have your opinion on the guy, but he he's he he plays hard. Uh he's a thorn in the side of of his opponents. Uh I definitely don't like playing against him because I don't think he's afraid to, you know, get a shoulder to a head area. Um, he's kind, he's one of those players who he toes that line, and I could just see him taking a run at Pashnak or McAvoy or somebody like that. Um, but he actually played a great game today, I thought. He was effective in his role, and he got the eventual game-winning goal. But it was a gruesome turnover by, by Jacob Lauko, who I think that was probably his last shift of the game. Um, and you know, that's a shot from distance that beats Swayman clean. So, um, a couple of things to not like about that goal to put the Bruins in a, in a hole. Yeah, de- definitely in the turnover by Lago. And you're right. That was his last shift. Um, it was interesting that the, the entire fourth line went like almost a full period between shifts. Um, Frederick and Greer didn't do the ice at that goal for a while either. Um, and then they finally got back on the ice in the third, but there was still no Lauko. So that was his last shift of the game. Frederick picked up a couple more shifts, kind of moving up to other lines at points. But um, yeah, so, you know, be interesting. we expect to brusque back within the next couple games. Um, eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, Roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You know, initially before the break, the, the word from Montgomery was he was expected to be back for this game. Um but he was still still hasn't gotten full clearance. He was still in a non-contact jersey at, at Friday's practice, and that was after missing Thursday's practice with some sort of travel issue with his flight getting canceled. So, um, yeah, you know he'll probably be back in the next couple of games, and then obviously that means Lau goes out and and back down to Providence. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, if DeBrusque misses another game or two, if they call someone else up, or if you know Lau gets to stay in and maybe get a chance to redeem himself. Um, You know, Montgomery said after the game that part of the reason like the fourth line didn't play much is that the Capitals weren't playing their fourth line much, which, which was true, but also kind of gives Montgomery like an easy way to sort of explain the lack of ice time away. Reality is, is, you know, if he had liked other things Lauka was doing or, you know, thought he was like, 
ready to redeem himself, he he would have had another shift over the last 29 minutes of the game. Yeah, absolutely. So who do you think benefits more from being on that third line, Felino or Frederick? Because I feel like now today Felino scored a goal. That line looked pretty good. Um, and he's, you know, he's, he's a, he's a pro, so he knows what he's doing, but I feel like Felino could be on the fourth line and because he's such a pro continue to do what his role is. But I feel like when Frederick goes down to the fourth line, I don't know if his mindset reverts back to when he was trying to crack the lineup or if he just loses that, 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 you know, um, jump in his step. But I just think a big part of his game is confidence. And I like, so I guess I'll, I mean, I guess I kind of just vaguely gave my answer. I think it's Frederick, but what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. I think, I do think like Felino, the way he's been playing most of the season, he can drive a line. Like he can be the best player on a line, which he has been on the fourth line pretty much all year. Um, Whereas Frederick, I don't know if he's quite there yet. Now, look, he's playing center between Greer and Lauko, who have brought some good things to the lineup, but like obviously aren't, you know, terrific fourth liners or anything like they're they're guys who can who can hold their own so um that's maybe a little bit of a tougher assignment than Felino, you know when he has no who's a veteran NHLer um on that line with him but yeah I don't know if Frederick's quite at the point where he can like consistently drive a line or be the best guy on a line um we just haven't really seen him do that yet so I would lean more towards like he might still need to have, you know, a coil and whoever else, a, a Hall, Zaka, or even Felino at times when he moved up. So, you know, other guys that he can play off and um, not have to be the main driving force. Yeah, I think Nosek's a guy that you don't really think about very often, but you just brought up his name and it's like, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about, uh, about, about Nosek. Like he, he is a, uh, he is a very good fixture for that line. And when he's, when he's in that fourth line center role, it just, it just provides that depth down the middle and that stability that you kind of want. And, you know, he, he's a pretty big guy too. He's like six, probably six, three or four. I don't really know, but um, yeah. So, I mean, he's out for a little bit longer. So, I mean, that's not anything they're going to get back anytime soon, but when DeBrus comes back in, things will slide down. How do you feel like a player like Craig Smith has been doing um, in his top line minutes with Bergeron and Marchand? I think he's been pretty quiet, um, which has, you know, sort of been the story of his season. Uh, it, you'll see flashes like he, he had one good rush where, you know, he kind of led the transition to, through the neutral zone with speed and then kicked it out to Bergeron, who was driving down the right. Bergeron puts a shot on looking for a rebound and it, it actually comes to Martian, but just skips over his stick, had had a lot of heat on it. Um, but like that was, you know, a play that stood out. We were like, OK, like. Smith kind of got going, had some jump and, you know, made the right play with, with the pass over, but just didn't see enough of it. Um, yeah. I thought there were other times where he, he kind of got the puck in a stick and it felt like play died. Like, like, you know, he was a little bit slow kind of figuring out what to do with it. So um, one time he just completely lost the puck in the neutral zone, like had on a stick was trying to, started, you know, a pass over to, for a zone entry and just completely overskated and Washington went the other way. So kind of continue, continues to be a tough go for him. Um, I do think like that line suffers a little bit. It's not like they're horrible or anything, but you know, for years it was always like, Oh, you can put anyone with Bergeron and Marchand. And it's like, all right, well, you know, those guys are a little bit older now and that's pro it, I'm not sure that was ever actually really true, but like it, it probably isn't true anymore. You know, I think that you see like a huge difference between what they can do when they have a DeBrusque on that line playing the way he's played this season versus Smith, who just still doesn't have his game. But even if he does, like, I just don't think Craig Smith is, he doesn't, he doesn't have the playmaking and finishing ability to, to, to really be an impact guy with them. It's, it's just not, it's just not his skill set. It's nothing against him or anything, but it's like you, you made the comment 
the the puck die, the puck dies in a stick. The play dies in a stick a lot, and it's not from a lack of effort. It's just he's not he's not the type of guy to carry the puck, you know, up and down the ice and make plays and pull up. He's a he's a skate without the puck in your stick type player. Get on the forecheck and try to cause some havoc, but that's not a top line skill set. That's a you know bottom six skill set. And then the other thing too with that line is like you look at Marshan five nine. Craig Smith is listed at six one. I think that's a generous six one. I would probably bet he's like five eleven. Um, and obviously Bergeron's not the tallest guy, so I feel like that line's kind of small. I don't think that helps matters. Um, so yeah, I, I I echo what you said. Um, but again, it's not a situation where he's an actual solution there. He's just filling in a role while DeBrusque is out and whatnot. So, um, were there any other um, storylines up front? from this game that you feel like we should go over? I mean, well, I can, uh, I can, the power play I mean, was better. Or at least, yeah, at least it like, was. zone entries are better and stuff. Yeah. I was going to say, especially the zone entries, like they, they got in pretty cleanly on a, on a consistent basis. Not that they had a ton of power plays. Um, well, I mean, I guess technically they had four, but only for three fifty nine total. So, really like timing wise, just two power plays, um, you know, a couple were cut short, interrupted. So, uh, yeah, but they, they were getting into the zone better. Um, I thought, you know, still, it's still not a ton of great chances. Bergeron had one from the slot that, you know, a chance to tie the game. That was really good. And, uh, just didn't quite elevate it enough. Got it into Kemper's pads. Um, Pastanaga, I thought the Capitals did a good way, good job taking away his one timer. A couple times he tried that move where he steps inside and, uh, you know, didn't really lead to anything. I think he was hoping there'd be someone, you know, a little closer looking, looking for a tip or kind of that slap pass. And I kind of think that's one thing where this reconfigured power play with, without like a true net front guy with Marshan kind of, you know, in that role, it's sort of as like more of a hybrid where, Sometimes he's net front, sometimes he's off to the side, and there's like a little bit more rotation. I thought there were times where like Pasanak in particular was looking for someone to be right in front and there really wasn't anyone there. So again, another area where I think you missed DeBrusque because he he will be he is kind of more reliable just in terms of like he's gonna stay there and um you know sort of be be in that spot consistently. Whereas Martian's going to move around more and, you know, sometimes they'll pop up there. Sometimes they will be somewhere else. Yeah. But unfortunately for them, like they can't rely on DeBrus coming back because, or just solely coming back because he's going to take some time to have to get, I mean, he hasn't played a hockey game in what, five, six weeks. So um, you got to try to address it before he gets back or whatever. I mean, whatever, um, as he's getting back. So Scott coming back off of the, Two week break. How do you feel like the decor handled the the desperation level, the forecheck of the Capitals? Because they clearly were a team, um, you know, a team with a be under their bonnet today, and obviously challenged Boston's D for the first time skating in two weeks. So, uh, how'd you think D fared? Yeah, I thought first period not very well, but you know, the whole team I thought was a little off to start. Um, Capitals forecheck definitely did give them some issues at times. Um, but as the game went on, I thought the Bruins did a pretty good job uh, keeping Washington to the outside, not giving up a whole lot. Um, they, you know, Washington got some great eight chances in the first period for sure. Uh, but then not a whole lot as the game went on, uh, you know, and only Bruins only gave four shots on goal in the second period, then 10 in the third. Um you know, job number one in time facing the Capitals is limit Ovechkin. And I thought they did for the most part. Uh, I think it was like early in the third period, he had a shot attempt that missed the net. And I was like, huh, I feel like I haven't really seen Ovechkin like taking too many shots today. And I looked and at that point, I think he had one shot on goal and three attempts. And, you know, he ended up with two on goal and six attempts. So he had a, you know, a couple more after that, but, um, yeah, I think they did a pretty good job limiting Ovechkin and limiting the Capitals. Uh, Carlo saw the most ice time against Ovechkin. I was just looking. He had eight minutes against him at five on five, which was more than 
two minutes more than anyone else. So, you know, sort of a glimpse at like, oh yeah, like, you know, this is the value that Carlo can bring if, uh, when he's playing well, like not, not to say that he's going to shut down Alex Ovechkin over an entire series, but you know, he's clearly like the guy that Montgomery would trust the most in that matchup. And I think Cassidy trusted him in that matchup in the past. So, um, yeah, got better as the game went on, but defense probably started a little bit to start. So if you're in, if you're in the Bruins dressing room, Scott, you're a coach, you're a player, whomever, like, I think for playoff teams, it's easier to get, find that everyday motivation um, as you kind of turn the corner on the trade deadline because everybody knows what they have going into the playoffs and it just, you know, spring is in the air. You get, you get that. But for the next like three weeks or not three weeks, what what's today? The 11th. Yeah. I mean, call two and a half, three weeks. Like, what what are you pointing to from to keep a team that's played at this level all year and seemingly has nothing to fear as far as like where they're going to finish in the standings? Uh, it's just a matter of staying healthy. But like, how do you keep aside from just like the the cliche like, well, you got to be a professional, right? But like, what's that motivation that you're pointing to in the locker room if you're if you're the Bruins right now? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I think Bergeron said after the game is one, they they do want to keep getting better, but you know, I also think that it's, they don't want to keep losing again, especially against other teams in the conference. And like, you don't want to give teams hope. You don't want to get on a skid where all of a sudden, you know, like it's, it's been broken up by the all-star break, but they've lost four of their last five. Like that's, that's not something they want in their resume. So, um, you know, I think it's also you can point to the Carolina Hurricanes are seven points back and, you know, they they lost to the Rangers Saturday night. So the suddenly Red Hot Rangers helped them out, uh, you know, team that went out and got Vladimir Tarasenko and, you know, along with the Horvat trade, probably one in one day in terms of the biggest trades so far this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, if Carolina wins that all of a sudden they're only five points back and it's like they're not so far out in front that, you know, they have absolutely nothing up for grabs. Like you slip up a little bit longer and all of a sudden, you know, top seed is in play and that could matter. Like that is something worth playing for. You know, I don't, I've said this before, like I don't care about the regular season points record or getting more wins than any team in NHL history. Like I don't even necessarily care about like lifting the president's trophy. Like it's whatever. But I do care about that number one seed because if you end up in a conference finals against Carolina, we've we just saw it last year what home ice can mean in that series. Like, may, it can change between now and then, but for whatever reason, they struggle playing in Carolina. So, uh, you know, that can also be a motivation of like, hey, you guys haven't locked up anything yet. Like, nothing's clinched. So, you know, let's get back on track and get back to being the dominant team and not open the door for someone to chase us down. Yeah, it's funny how different teams just present different challenges to each other. Like, for example, the Bruins go down to Carolina. They play in Raleigh, and and they just they can't penetrate Carolina's structure down there. It's they're they're never really threatening for wins down there. They're not really putting Carolina on their heels. But then the Rangers last year in the playoffs were able to eliminate Carolina on home ice and do whatever they wanted against them in the playoff series. And then tonight Panarin gets four goals in, in Carolina and the Rangers beat them like six or seven or three. So, but on the other side, like the Bruins, I feel like would handle the Rangers, no problem. So it's very strange how different teams just are weird matchups for each other. And so to your point, like, yeah, you, you need to stay ahead of Carolina and, and yeah, like the Bruins have lost four or five. It's just, like you said, it's been broken up by a vacation for them. And even in some of their wins prior to that, they were kind of, they were just getting the W. They weren't necessarily playing 
great hockey. And look, what what's what's the goal of me saying that? I'm not trying to shit on the team. I'm just it's just a matter of fact. It's 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 middle of the season. It's tough to get up all the time. Um, but they're gonna have to get it get it going again soon. Um. So Scott, you mentioned Horvat, you mentioned Tarasenko. So two teams in the Eastern Conference have gotten better. Now look, the Islanders' best case scenario for them, I think, are gonna they would be a wild card team. Um, and I don't think they got significantly better. I mean, Horvat's makes them better, but it's not like the Islanders are a contender in my mind. Rangers got much better, I think, with Tarasenko, and he has experience against the Bruins in the playoffs, and we don't have to go down that road, but he did pretty well. Tonight, there's a lot of circulation. Um, guy we talked about last episode with Razor and, and Bridget. Um, Chikrin was held out. Jacob Chikrin was held out of the lineup. Uh, Arizona versus the Blues because of uh, what seems to be an impending trade or something along those lines tonight, tomorrow, or soon. There are various reports. Nobody knows what to believe, but apparently certain guys that are plugged in up in Canada, they say that Toronto's out. They say the Kings are out. They say the Oilers are out. Um, which kind of leaves like the Bruins who have been reported to have interest. But then you see other reports saying the Kings are in. I don't know what's even ask you here, Scott, because it's a, it's just a circus. But like, what do you make of all this right now? Yeah, it's certainly. I mean, for the Coyotes to hold them out, and again, you know, two and a half weeks out from the deadline. Uh, Tells me that like something moved today, you know, something got closer. They thought they were getting somewhere like you don't hold them out. If it's like, oh, you know, we're still kind of just talking to a bunch of teams. Like you hold them out because at least one team has gotten close enough where you're like, okay, like this might be done pretty soon. Um, Doesn't necessarily mean that it is going to be done pretty soon. To your point, we've, you know, we've seen conflicting reports about when, like when something's going to happen. Um, Greg Wyshynski of ESPN tweeted that he wasn't expecting anything imminent Saturday night. So maybe it, you know, still drags on another day or two. I think the coyotes don't play again till Monday. Um, Jeff Merrick had the report that Edmonton Toronto were out. There had been a report earlier that Edmonton is connected with San Jose on Eric Carlson and kind of reignited that. Um, you know, Merrick's wording on the Kings was a little interesting because he said like they, they poured cold water on it, but he didn't say they were definitively out. And then I saw Frank Valley of daily face off. Um, basically like while we're recording just a few minutes ago at the time that we're recording, uh, tweeted that there's a lot of smoke around the Kings and the Kings on Saturday night are holding Dustin Brown night. So you, if they are the team, like you could understand them maybe throwing some cold water on it. Cause Hey, they don't want to overshadow, you know, the night dedicated to certainly one of their recent franchise legends, you know, a guy who helped them win two cups has been a captain. Like, um, you know, they, they would have a vested interest in waiting and announcing this probably not i would really hope like teams around the nhl are smart enough to not announce a major trade on super bowl sunday but that really would be classic nhl to like bury a huge trade when absolutely no one is going to care about what's going on in the nhl but um yeah it's interesting to, to your point like the bruins are still a name that's out there uh it's a frank pegnata of fourth period mentioned kings bruins and flames so you know it seems we have no idea if the bruins are close we have no idea if they're going to be the team or for all we know they could already be out but like they've hung around this conversation and these rumors till it seems like what might be approaching the end so uh yeah we definitely can't rule anything out no and i feel like you and i we, we've discussed in the past like plenty of times what a guy like Chikrin could look like in Boston and you know but we've also talked about how they don't need him and they could find other areas to address so until something happens it, we're just gonna keep you know reiterating the same sentiments but what, what do you what do you feel like 
do you notice the NHL um, landscape changing in regards to beating other teams, setting them, setting the trade market earlier on? Like, I feel like back in the day, like the trade deadline was what it sounded like. It was like, it was a sprint to the finish. Like everybody kind of held out until the end. Um, teams didn't want to show their cards. Teams were holding out hope to be a buyer and whatever, whatever the case may be. But here we have Horvat goes to Long Island. We have Tarasenko goes to the Rangers. And now Chikrin, like we said, seems to be on the move in the, in the next couple of days. And the trade deadline is still weeks away. So do you think teams are are doing this on purpose to set markets or whatnot? Or is it just kind of the way it's kind of happening? I don't think it's necessarily to – I think it's more on the buyer's end. I think buyers maybe more than the past are motivated to get guys in earlier and, you know, give guys more time to acclimate, see the team with the new player ahead of the deadline. And maybe that helps inform, you know, any other, maybe one last like depth move or something that you make. Um, I think teams are realizing that, when you add a guy with like a month left in the regular season, there's some risk that he might not be fully integrated by the time the playoffs start. And I think teams increasingly like really want to obviously like hit game one running and, you know, have that team together for, if you can have that team together for two months going leading into that, instead of just one, like, that that's a huge difference. You know, that's double the, the re- number of regular season games. So I think if anything, there's been just more motivation on the buyer side where it's like, Hey, if we're two months out and we're close, let's push this back past the finish line. Like, you know, why wait two more weeks to see if the price comes down and Hey, keep us in the loop. If anyone beats our offer, it's like, you know what? We're close. We want the guy. Let's just finish it. Let's push this over the the line. And I think that's how it should be handled. Like that's like, like when you're in high school and a teacher tells you, "Hey guys, next week we have a test." What you should do is go home every night, read a couple of pages of the chapter, and get prepared for it. But what you do is you're at <laughs> breakfast the day of the test, and you start scrambling for 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 through your notes. But like you really should just kind of like take care of business before the actual deadline. That's so it makes sense that teams are doing that. I mean, it's, it's honestly surprising it's taken so long for them to do that. And also, it's like if teams want to get a better look at like, all right, do we want to look at extending this guy in the offseason if he's, a, if he's a pending free agent or is he a, a pure rental? It's easier to make that decision if you can take a look at them for like almost two months before the play and playoff as opposed to, you know, a month in playoffs. So, um, yeah, uh, so there's going to be some news to drop. And I'm sure we'll be discussing that midweek, Scott. Was there any other uh, Bruins news, league news you wanted to go over tonight? Um, I don't think so. Other than, you know, we touched on it, but the Tarasenko trade for the Rangers is super interesting because one, like they'd been kind of the team that was considered the favor for Patrick Kane for a long time. And the reports around here were basically like, they had some concerns over Kane's hip. They had some concerns over the price. They liked the price for Tarasenko and they just made the trade. And, you know, I saw Kane had some quotes uh, that like, he wasn't thrilled to to see the, that the Rangers got Tarasenko. And it's like, well, like to your point about guys getting teams, getting deals done earlier, like Patrick Kane hasn't even announced a decision about whether he wants to be traded yet. So, you know, kind of only have yourself to blame on that one. Like if you're not, if you haven't made your decision yet and you haven't told the Blackhawks, like which teams you want to go to, then yeah, like I don't blame the Rangers at all for finding another deal. And Tarasenko might just straight up be a better option than Kane right now. Like, especially when you factor in Kane's hip. So um, yeah. And, and obviously it seems to be paying immediate dividends uh, Tarasenko and Panarin on the same line seems like potentially a pretty magical formula for the Rangers. So, uh, you know, I don't, the Rangers have kind of just been lurking where it's like, they didn't look quite as good as last year, but they're still like second, third in the, div- or, you know, really mostly third in their division. Um, like they're going to be there. And now all of a sudden you see them make this move and it's like, 
oh yeah that's absolutely a team that could be back in the eastern conference finals again like they're you know they're they're coming on and that's last year they're the team that made move you know added depth and and that helped them last year now it's like you had another star winger and it's like well you know who cares if they're not quite as deep as last year they just added vladimir tarasenko yeah i i've look i think the rangers got off to a slow start like you said i i I've, I like their team going into the season in their division. Um, I liked Carolina ahead of them. But you talk about the Bruins kind of getting off to a slow start out of their break. I mean, the Rangers hit the ground running in that first night against Calgary. Like, I mean, Jacob Truba with, I mean, that hit on Kadri, which I don't think we ever talked about um, last week or last episode, but that was like one of the, that was one of the, has been the biggest hit of the season. Like Kadri's helmet, like literally, I think hit, Mark Messier's banner hanging at MSG. Um, so, um, yeah, the, like the Rangers, the Rangers, Carolina, like, look, it's, it's all it tells you is it's reaffirmation that in a year where the Bruins have the highest of expectations locally, nationally, internationally, they're in the toughest conference. The Eastern Conference is going to be an absolute dogfight. I mean, you have Tampa Bay, Toronto, that you have to get through in your side of the bracket, in addition to your wild card round, which would probably be could be Sidney Crosby and, and company, could be Alex Ovechkin and company, and then you know you have Carolina who's had your number a bit. The Rangers we just touched on, like the Bruins play them well, but you just never know. The Devils are up and coming now. I think the Devils would, I think they would squander to to the Bruins in a in a playoff series based off of experience and stuff. But like regardless, my point is, like. The Bruins cannot sit on their laurels here and, and and what they've done this year. They need to get better. And I they know that. This is not me lecturing them, but it's just it's just like, yeah, this is why they have to get better at the deadline. Find out what that is, find out if it's depth or whatnot, but it will we'll all be watching them, Scott. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned like the possibility of a capital series in the first round. Like I thought today was also another reminder that, you know, even if even if that ends up being like a fairly short series. It's not going to be a fun one. Like that, that team just is not easy to face. You're going to come out of it with bruises. Like that, you know, I thought they were throwing some heavy checks Saturday and that's without Tom Wilson. And we'll see what happens with him. You know, sounds like he maybe like re-aggravated something. Uh, I saw a report a couple of days ago that he had like a limp when he came back from, from the break. So who knows what's happening with him if that if he ends up missing more time or if this is like a shorter term thing. But uh yeah, just not a fun team to play against. So like even though I look at him like, yeah, the Bruins could beat that team in five again, even like a five game series would be a top five game series. Yeah, and they're also without John Carlson, who's yep. their top defenseman. And I-, I will say this, I feel like when the Bruins played the Capitals in uh in in the playoffs a couple of years ago, I I do feel like you didn't get all the juice out of some of their players on in Washington. Now that's on them, right? Like good on the Bruins for doing what they had to do. But Alex Ovechkin didn't seem too interested in that series. Like you didn't have any fans in the arena. You had you had a couple, I think, that round. But like it was just a again, it was a weird year. Like I think. I think it would be a bit more of a challenge this time around playing the Capitals if they were healthy than it was that season, just for random intangibles. Um, but the Bruins could sweep them, and like you said, it's a taxing sweep. Um, hell, they could take them to seven games. You just never know. It's the NHL playoffs. So, yeah, I mean, Bruins got to get better. It, look, it's like as far as Chikrin goes, right? It's like, yeah, Chikrin's a very talented player. But we kind of touched on this with Razor, but it's like, you want you when you're at the trade deadline, is it better to get that big fish or is it better to look at your team and add to your team to make it as complete as possible and playoff ready as possible? And I think the, that's why it's like I I really am indifferent on, on their deadline approach. Like I want them to add, obviously, they're they're they have to be the they are the biggest definition of a buyer you'll ever see in the NHL. But, like, how are they going to add, right? Are they going to add, like, somebody that they feel like can be rugged for them in the playoffs, like Luke Shen was for, for Tampa Bay or, you know, somebody up front that, that that can log some minutes? So we'll see how it goes. You know, it's, it's there's a lot to play out in the next couple of weeks. So 
I'm not a fortune teller, Scott. I just like to react to things, you know? Yeah. And, you know, the, it's it's weird. Like, I was going through potential targets this week, and I posted something on WEI. And on defense, like, there aren't a ton of guys that I like. And some of the ones I do, like, I, I think are going to go for more than I'd be willing to pay. Like, I, I've even see, like, I've seen things where people think Luke Shen might get a second round pick. And I'm like, I would not give up a second round pick for Luke Shen. Like, I, I'm sorry. Like, I, I like him as, as a depth guy, rugged seventh, eighth defender. But like, I'm not giving up a second round pick for that. And, you know, Joel Edmondson is out of Montreal. Like, and I know there's potentially hangups between like Bruins Canadians trading, but he's a guy that the guy would like, again, is like a depth guy, maybe third pairing. But seems like the Canadians asking price is like a first round pick. I'm like, to me, like that's Ben Sherrod all over again. Like that that's what the team that gives up a first round pick for Joel Edmondson, like that's how they were gonna feel. It's how the Panthers felt with Sherrod last year. Um so I don't even I do think like it would be nice if they add a depth defenseman, but right now, at least the asking prices, we'll see what the actual prices end up being. But the asking prices seem kind of crazy. Um up front, there are like a few depth guys I like, like Nick Bukestad in Arizona. I've mentioned Nick Benino before in San Jose. Uh, Nola Chari, old friend, he could be available. St. Louis seems like they might be a team that's you know going to be selling off some pieces, and he's a pending free agent. Um, Sam Lafferty with the Blackhawks is kind of like a an ideal bottom six energy guy uh, who can he can play all three forward positions. Um, and has another year after this, he's making only like $1.1 million. So up front, I feel like there's a little bit more options, um, at least in terms of like the depth guys, but yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting, you know, because obviously the Bruins seem to be at least in conversations for some of these big fish, whether it was Horvat before or, or chick or now, uh, but to your point, like even if, it, if it's just, a depth piece at each position on defense and up front, like that's, you can never have too much. So um, mm. I, I still feel like that's more likely for them, but no doubt that they seem to be having some of these bigger conversations. I also like how it's this like ongoing joke that like the Bruins are always in <laughs> on like the biggest guys out there, whether it's free agency or the trade deadline. And, and look, the last couple of years, they've actually gotten some big fish, but like, um, it's just a funny narrative. Yeah, and it, but it's like it's so bizarre because like when like I posted the report this week that that like they had inquired about Chikrin, it's like that's a bunch of the responses, and I'm like, what year are people living in? Like to your point, they've actually landed some of the biggest fish you can possibly like the last couple of deadlines that were out there. So it's like, yeah some point you kind of have to retire the narrative when they've mm-hmm. actually landed some big fish and teams don't do that every year. So no. they've done it. They've done it a couple years in a row. And uh, you know, so it's like, yeah, okay. They might not get chick run, but guess what? Teams don't land top players like three or four years in a row, every trade deadline. Yeah. And like, even like 2017, like Rick Nash at the time, like nobody knew he was going to retire yeah. right after that season with the concussion issues. Like he was, he was a big fish at the time. Right. I mean, so uh, I mean, Don, so Don's had what, how many deadlines has he had as, as Bruins GM, like seven, six or seven. And at least yeah. three or four of them, he's gotten that's something pretty insignificant. So um, one of my other f- funny f- uh, things on uh during deadline season is like everybody on, on media, like social media, acting like they like predicting who the Bruins are going to get. Like they have, like they had any idea who that guy was before they saw somebody else tweet about it. Like the one thing that comes to mind is like Bruins Twitter is all they're doing right now is just tweeting. Like, um, I think, I think uh, the Bruins should go after Gavrikov on Columbus. Like anybody had any idea who Gavrikov was on Columbus up until they saw somebody in their timeline tweet about it. And then it, they just started doing, saying the same shit. Like nobody knows, nobody knew who this guy was. He's like a depth defense that block shots in the PK. Come on. He, yeah. I mean, which is good. I, I like him a little fine. bit more than that. Like, I, I think he can, he can handle top four minutes. Um, 
but yeah, to your point, it's like Mark Mark this 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 discussion when when he becomes like a huge part of their cup run. Yeah. Well, I think like he would be a more significant addition than, you know, someone like a Shen, especially a Luke Shen. Like Gavrikov would I think be an everyday player for them. So Over that, who? that would be pretty legit. Like, Over who? He's 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 not he's not Chikrin, but uh or even particularly close to that. But he he is an everyday player. Like he's more than just a seventh or eighth defenseman. So who who is he playing over in, in the lineup every night? Uh, good question. I mean, Forbert's probably not coming out just because of penalty kills. So I think Clifton. By default, it's Clifton. But hey, you know what? Connor Clifton, one of the guys who had a pretty good game Saturday. So I think Montgomery values Clifton a lot in the lineup. I do too. So. Which is why, like as I've said, like I don't necessarily think you need an upgrade on defense you know it's why i'm fine with with depth there but again any if you're looking to upgrade like i i'm not gonna knock it you know no lineup guarantees your stanley cup so if you think you can find someone who's an upgrade on defense i I do think you know gavrikov would be a little bit more of a wild card because he's his success has kind of been more recent than chikrin who basically came into the league as a pretty good, especially a pretty good offensive defenseman right off the bat. So it's like, he's always shown why he plays big minutes. Whereas Gavrikov, like it's kind of just come on recently. And it's to your point, like it's a little bit more of a simplistic kind of defensive, not really stay at home because he can skate and move the puck, but not a ton of offense to his game. Although I think he had like 30 points last year. So like, it's not totally insignificant. No, that's definitely not insignificant. And and look, you're not bringing him in for offense, right? You'd be bringing him in for a six, four frame and yeah. ability to keep guys to the outside and be hard to play against. So, I mean, I'm not, I wasn't trying to crap on the player. I just, it's just sometimes trade deadline season just brings out, like everybody tries to be Pierre Lebrun on, on, <laughs> on like Twitter. And it's like, guys, just enough. Let the, let the experts give us the news and we'll all see what happens when it happens. Uh, all right. 55 minutes in. Scott, are you all set to go? All good. All right. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you soon.